0: From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm
1: Daniel Williams. I feel really good about the future. I'm an optimist at heart. Uh, the glass is three quarters away full. We're gonna get through this. Uh, we all just gotta hang together and, and, um, and just know that we, we need to plan for a strong future and what it's gonna take to get there and just take care of ourselves.
0: That's Tony Stadahar with a positive outlook for physician recruitment following the COVID-19 crisis. We'll hear more from Tony, Kathy Cooperman, and Dr. Russ Livingston in a panel discussion on the pandemic's psychological impact on healthcare workers. But first, a word from our sponsors. Are you looking to simplify your uniform program? Scrubbing Uniforms is a national healthcare uniform company that is partnered with MGMA to offer members a customized program full of tremendous benefits. Scrubbing strives to make uniform ordering as simple as possible for all organizations, large or small, with features like custom ordering portals, a voucher program, painless return policies, and unmatched customer service. Scrub-In makes ordering new uniforms the easiest task on your to-do list and at pricing that's easy on your budget. Learn more and contact them today at mgma.scrubin.com to experience the Scrub-In difference. Medical practices and their human resources departments are facing unprecedented challenges amid the COVID-19 crisis. How do you retain staff during a furlough? What are the best practices for managing teams remotely? How do you keep employees productive? Find out this information and more in an exclusive MGMA online event, Answering HR Questions in a COVID 19 Environment on June 24th. To register for this seminar, which is eligible for ACMPE, ACHE, CPE, and CEU credit, visit MGMA.com slash events. Like much of the healthcare industry, physician recruitment has experienced dramatic change since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Shortages and overwhelmed communities in rural areas have made for especially challenging circumstances, not to mention the personal toll and roller coaster of emotions brought on by a new daily grind, dictated largely by the crisis. Here today for a panel discussion on physician recruitment and the psychological aspect of COVID-19 are Tony Stadahar, Kathy Cooperman, and Dr. Russ Livingston. Tony is president of Jackson Physician Search. Kathy is an executive coach and the president of KC Leadership Consulting. And Russ is a consultant and longtime psychiatrist specializing in child and adolescent psychiatry. Tony, Kathy, Russ, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you. Thanks.
0: First of all, we've all been dealing with the COVID 19 crisis, it has put tremendous stress on healthcare workers across the country. Today, we're gonna be discussing the psychological dimension of COVID-19 and how people are dealing with that and how uh, they can develop some strategies moving forward. Um, I wanted to turn it first though on a personal side, how it's impacted you. What have been some of the stressors or biggest challenges that you've had to deal with through this uh, crisis? Tony, let's start with you.
1: Well, thank you. Yes, I would say from a personal standpoint, um, they, the fear of the unknown is probably the biggest because I think everybody realized very early on that this was going to be like nothing we've ever experienced before. Um, you know, we've been through recessions. I've been through three different cycles of phys- you know, over 30 something years of physicians being employed. Physicians being independent, physicians being employed, um, recessions, whether whether things are going well for physicians or not, from a business standpoint, the stressor on me has been just that uncertainty of how this would affect us. And what I mean by that, in permanent physician search, historically, it's been very important and a big piece of recruitment for a physician to be able to take their spouse and or family. To see the location and see where they're gonna be living and see the people they're gonna meet, the people they're gonna be working with, and really understand what they're moving to to make sure they're actually going to something better. So, to find out that that is the core part of your business that's stripped away for an unknown period of time. We assumed it would be at least a couple months. You know, it's turned out to be at least a couple months and could be another month or two before we consistently find people opening up to say, you can travel and see our locations again, and they feel safe doing so. So that being said, my experience was kind of, for the first time, a, a bit of a negative to me, because I was worried that with the inability to do that, that it would really hurt our numbers and our actual placements of physicians, because our, our trajectory over the last 10 years has been phenomenal, and I'm used to the line going up and thinking that it could potentially be going down was was not in my mentality or, or thought thought category so that was my biggest stressor going in the second stressor from our business is to say you know we've got fantastic offices and you know places for people to work our cultures amazing you know it's, it's such a great place to be and we've built this with the idea that people want to be here and they learn from each other and they feed off of each other and the energy and the sharing And to say that all of a sudden everybody's working remotely, that was, I have to tell you, it's a little nerve wracking, but I knew that we were prepared to do it. We've, from the beginning, always equipped every one of our employees with cell phones, computers, technology at home to be able to work from home when needed. So all of that kind of was fortuitous to be able to put us in a place where we said, okay, now, now let's see how it works. And it's worked like a dream. Um, My fears have been allayed. To, for the most part, um, while we've experienced a little bit of those people who are still pent up and saying, I think I want to go, but I still have to go there on site, the majority of people are still coming in, taking jobs, and they're doing it via video, video conferencing. So you know, those were my biggest fears going in. And also the last thing that came as time progressed was to say, as we knew hospitals were hurting, how is that going to help or hurt us financially? Are people going to put our services on hold? Are they going to cancel accounts, et cetera? So that was a little nerve wracking, but again, knock on wood, we've uh, come through in pretty good shape. Lastly, from a personal standpoint, of course, it's always worried about family and, you know, are we all going to stay healthy and what can we do to keep our our families healthy? And that's always been a big concern, but still, again, you know, I, I can't complain. So all's good for now.
0: Good. Well, thank you for that. Uh, Kathy, let's turn to you then. What has what your day-to-day been like? What has your life been like uh, during this crisis?
2: All right. Thanks, Daniel, for asking. Well, on the personal side, pretty upside down right now. Um, I'm working from home as most everyone across the country. Instead of traveling about every other week, which I had been doing, So a lot of my work is training leaders across the country in different uh, different industries. So now we've turned to uh, the online kind of training. I also do executive coaching. So all of that is online via video chat. So I have the added stressor of sometimes my cat jumps up and walks across my laptop and gets in on the video meeting and that kind of crazy stuff. In addition, my elderly mom in her late 80s moved in with me at the start of this pandemic. And that's been joyful as well as stressful at some times for both of us. Um, it's changed, you know, my visiting with my granddaughters like many, many people. Um, but yeah, work has changed quite dramatically, so it's really starved that extroversion uh, need that I have, and on the other hand, the joy of actually being home more often. So yeah, pretty much everything has changed.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Russ, what about you then? What has your day-to-day looked like, you meeting uh, with patients or talking to other clients out there? What What's your life been like?
3: Sure. Well, uh, first of all, uh, Daniel, I really appreciate the opportunity to participate in this. Thank you. Um, So I want to preface my comments with acknowledging that there's a bell curve and that, uh, you know, if we think about what's happening to people across the country, uh, honestly, we're talking about a, a privileged subset of the bell curve. And so... Uh, I being one of them. So, you know, your typical physician is uh, relatively insulated from the slings and arrows that uh, many of our uh, other members of the community are dealing with. And, you know, one of the, one of the demographic um, sort of dividing lines that's, that seems to be shaking out is those who can work from home and those who cannot work from home. Uh, but have to go out in order to put food on the table. And, you know, there's no question that uh, physicians are much more in a position of being able to work from home and being able to leverage that, uh, you know, their skill set in the service of doing that. That's not true. And then there's a a distinction amongst physicians. So there are uh, healthcare workers and physicians who are, Engaged directly in the care of uh, COVID 19 patients who have to be on site. And then there's the raft of us who are in other fields, like myself in psychiatry, who can reasonably continue to do the work remotely. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm happy to talk about stressors and sort of the tumult that this has caused, uh, but wanting to nest it inside the context of acknowledging cause for gratitude and privilege. Um, having said that, I did uh, lose my uh, favorite job ever. And that was fairly rapidly um, after uh, COVID hit. The nonprofit agency that I was working for uh, experienced significant financial adversity because of uh, decreased revenue and increased financial demand in order to adapt. Uh, and given that the bulk of what I of the work I was doing was not direct care, in other words, not immediately revenue generating, they had to let me go. Um, and so uh, the, you can imagine the kind of stress that that caused, uh, including you know loss of benefits at this particular time. Uh, but uh, I was very fortunate um, to um, be able to secure another position that I'm very happy with. Within weeks, and again, acknowledging that that's not the typical experience that people are having, um, the um, the main um, sort of stressors uh, beyond that are um, the the kind of uncertainty that you, Tony, talked about. Um, you know, there's many variables in the mix, and so it's really hard to plan. It's hard to know sort of exactly what's coming next. And then the other concern that that I've had is um, the effect developmentally on my 13 and 14-year-old children, where suddenly, you know, at a a key time for socialization, their social lives have, you know, been substantially diminished and moved online. Um, At the same time, there are gains. So I have uh, much more time with my family, and that in many ways has strengthened my bonds with uh, my family members. Um, There are uh, projects around the house that had had lain fallow for a long time that we're getting to. uh, And, uh, and so that, you know, on balance, it's been both tumult and uh, gratitude.
0: Thank you for sharing that. That's a powerful story. And thank all of you for sharing those personal stories. Um, We want to, look at this, take a deeper dive now into the mindset of physicians and other healthcare workers who are looking to change jobs in this unique environment. Um, first want to get a, a better understanding of what this job market looks like. Tony, if you could kind of give us a a sense of what the current market dynamics are, um, what job seekers are dealing with right now, what employers are dealing with right now.
1: Absolutely. Um, Yes, let's start it by saying uh, there are the haves and have-nots, if you will, and the haves, let's just say everybody knows the Mount Sinai's um, here in Georgia, the the Albany, Georgia situations, the places where there have been hot spots and on a per capita basis, they're overwhelmed with COVID. Um, right now, the last thing on those people's minds is recruiting physicians right now. They're just staying alive, keeping their head above water and saying, how do we get through this and keep these people alive and healthy if we can? And it's like, we will have to worry about this later on. It's important, but we can't, we just can't worry about that right now. So that's one subset. The other, on the other hand, are places where you find you know towns of 50,000 people where they've had one case. Uh, you, there's just not a lot of rhyme and reason as to a lot of those things. Or you find rural areas that are saying, we don't have COVID cases, we need to continue recruiting. And in some cases, when some of these rural hospitals are saying that they have to stop elective surgeries, it's potentially, there's been at least probably 40 or 50 hospital closures as a result of that. So, Many times a single physician can make the difference of whether a hospital stays open for a community or not, so the the thing that we've had to adjust to and try to help our clients is to find out what are the things that you need help on and are you still going to need on the back end of this? When should you be getting started and, and when do you need these physicians delivered and if that means that right now people still need certain specialties in two thousand and twenty then so be it, we need to be recruiting and helping you recruit right now. So these are things that we've been trying to keep in mind yet still be mindful that people are suffering and struggling and we're not trying to be mercenaries to come in and, and you know take advantage of a situation, but we also wanna help them any way we can to say, these are things that are gonna be critical needs for you regardless of what the current situation is or not. So it's helping people get from a client side, from a hospital standpoint, It's helping them get past that or, you know, large groups are in similar situations. So group dynamics is just as important and they're being hit sometimes harder than some hospitals are. So we're just trying to be consultative and try to help them say, if this is your needs, here's a game plan. And if your needs are further back, maybe we can push some of that off and help defray some of those costs that you might be incurring otherwise. Um, so that's more from like the clientele side from the candidate side, it's uh, probably the most stressful time ever. The demand for them has always been so high that it's almost been like, oh yeah, where do I wanna go practice? You know, which, which, which one am I gonna choose? Which, you know, out of these five locations, which is gonna be the, five, one of the number one, number two, number three? Um, that's always kind of been the way it's been historically, but now physicians are coming into the job market sometimes out of necessity, where they've had a position pulled out from under them, unbeknownst to them, and not necessarily that the hospital is trying to do anything or do anything bad, they just can't afford it. They had to rescind offers. So you're finding a group of people that are desperate to find a job because they can't come out of their residency program or the change that they made in their previous job and just say, oh, I'm gonna fall into something. So as a result, you're finding more pent up um, supply than we've ever seen before. And so I kind of always liken it to, okay, you, you know, you've got a huge horse race and there's unlimited number of horses can go, but there's still that starting gate. Well, we've still got 50,000 physicians are going to relocate this year, but it's all going to be in a shorter period of time. And while, yes, we are seeing people take um, permanent jobs via video conferencing or other means at this point, there's still a lot of them that have to have the on-site visits. So all of a sudden when that gate raises, it's off to the races. And, Who's gonna get those jobs? Who's gonna f- get those physicians first? You know, it's, it's a really an interesting dynamic, one that I've never witnessed in 35 years. So, um, but there's a lot of nervousness out there on both sides, on, as it should be, because it's just, again, the unknown, you just don't know. But, uh, and the biggest unknown, the part that worries me for them the most is, you know, is this going to have a reoccurrence quickly? Is it going to come back just as forceful next January? And are we going to live through this all again? And that's the part that I wish we all had a crystal ball and we could figure this out. But I hope that answers the question. It
0: does. Thank you so much for that, Tony. Um, Kind of laid the groundwork of what the conditions are. There is that unknown. There's that uncertainty right now. So I want to turn to you, Kathy. What is that doing to people psychologically? What is the psychological phenomenon regarding people's, you know, choices, decisions right now um, and how they're dealing with this?
2: Yeah, thanks, Daniel, for that question. You know, during times of crisis like this, and we can certainly call this a crisis, uh, we find that people return to their true values in terms of what motivates them to make certain decisions such as career uh, career decisions Uh, a great example of that is what happened during 9-11 and uh, during some of my leadership workshops my gosh with hundreds of leaders we talk about what was the result of that crisis on your decision making on your career And we found that people went right back to their core values just because of this uncertainty that we've been talking about, this massive unexpected change. So whatever those core values are, such as family, maybe service to others, health community, that's what at times like 9-11 and certainly today, I predict will certainly help drive people's choices and what they're going to do and you know people we know all of the things that are going on just great disruption to routines almost everybody knows someone who's lost a loved one and just the massive serious health issues that are going on i like to always think back to we're probably all familiar with maslow's hierarchy of needs that's been a classic in psychology and you think about that pyramid or that shape of a triangle. And in a nutshell, of course, people, according to the theory, are motivated by their lowest unmet needs. So for the healthcare industry, most people in the industry are well up at the top of the hierarchy of the pyramid, motivated by higher order needs, self-actualization, helping other people. Well, right now with what's going on, I'm seeing that pyramid upside down. And all of a sudden, I mean, we are fearful for our physiological needs to be met. I mean, we're threatened every day by potentially what could happen. So in terms of how does that impact people in the workplace, especially in the medical community, I believe first and foremost, people are going to make decisions based on what meets their values. Again, back to 9-11, I've heard leaders over and over talk about, they decided to leave the military as an example because of 9-11, they wanted to be close to family and be with their family. We've heard people say they joined the military as a result of what happened. Some people got married, uh, some people got divorced, just big, big impact because of values. So I think it remains to be seen what's going to happen We know uh, right now looking at physicians, for example, a lot of younger physicians are seeing career choices quite differently than those who've been around and seasoned and have so much invested. And so it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next couple of years, some of the choices maybe that this new generation of uh, physicians will make.
0: Okay, thank you for that. Russ, I want to turn to you now. We know that healthcare professionals are dealing with stress. They were dealing with stress before the COVID-19 outbreak. They were dealing with burnout. Um, So many things on their plate and, and trying to maximize efficiency, see all the patients they need to see, do all the work they need to do, and quite frankly, often not having the time to even address all of that without taking all that work home well, now we've got this crisis, this outbreak, um, impacting it as well. So I want you to help our audiences get a better understanding of what effect pandemics can have on people, particularly healthcare workers, is
3: mental health. Um, thank you, Daniel, that's a, that's a terrific question. Um, so just, just to tack down one concept, I think there are two pools where the answers are distinct. So the one pool are healthcare professionals that are directly involved in the care of individuals with COVID-19. Um, and, and the demands on them are different than the demands on folks that are not directly involved in that care. And so um, it, it's difficult to generalize to both, but having said that, Um, You know, I think uh, not unique to healthcare professionals, as Kathy was referencing, is the profound increase in anxiety um, that people are experiencing in their personal and professional lives, and how people adapt to anxiety. So, Kathy, you talked about people sort of returning to their core values I would agree and I would also say that under duress people also return to their core adaptations and um, I would say the more anxious um, the more folks are likely to demonstrate some problematic adaptations or regressive adaptations and so one of those includes sort of such a profound need for structure and certainty that one goes about their lives as if there is that level of certainty when there's not. And so, in that, uh, that defines uh, you know, it takes one casual look at social media to see that people are um, making claims with certainty about what's happening and what the motivation is. Of, uh, the, of the government regarding what's happening that really are not based in reality. And so, um, you know, one risk is that people develop um, sort of lower level adaptations to anxiety, including paranoia, including rig- rigidity, including need for certainty when the possibility for certainty is not really there. Um, in terms of um, some specifics about that it makes me think of a, a body of information about um, uh, what's called ambiguous loss. And so, Tony, you were talking about sort of variables where you, you don't really know what to expect next. And um, you know, the, the the concept of ambiguous loss was coined in the 1970s. Um, the the name of the researcher that coined that concept is Pauline Boss, if any of our audience wants to read up. Uh, and essentially, she pointed out that there's a, a very significant difference between loss that's well-defined. Somebody dies, you know how they died, you know why they died, and, uh, and you go through your uh, process of grieving. As distinct from circumstances where somebody goes missing, or somebody is suffering from a a condition that seems to be threatening their lives, but it's not well understood what the trouble is or what to do about it, and maybe they'll recover and maybe they won't. And I I think our adaptation to the COVID-19 circumstance is more like the latter. We don't really know when a vaccine will emerge. We don't really know uh, when it's going to be safe for us to, Uh, you know, safer for us to be able to work on site. And so um, this level of uncertainty is one feature that I think uh, people are dealing with. And, uh, you know, when folks are recruiting and trying to fill positions, it's good to be mindful that that's one of the issues that folks are dealing with. Um, A second is, and this is more for the crew that is working with COVID-19 patients, but not unique to them, is the concept of vicarious trauma. And there's, a, again, a research evidence base that tells us if you're working with traumatized individuals, and if we liberalize the concept, I'm sorry, who's not dealing with trauma at present? Uh, but healthcare providers that work with traumatized individuals are themselves, this is evidence-based, at higher risk for developing PTSD symptoms than the general population. This is meaningful because uh, if you think about Uh, PTSD symptoms, it involves avoidance, cognitive distortions, reactivity, uh, traumatic re-experiencing triggered by uh, circumstances in the present environment, all of which um, potentially uh, decrease uh, people's capacity to deliver optimal work. Uh, And so that's also a dilemma. Um, And um, Kathy, you touched on the importance of people uh, feeling like their work is meaningful. And I think, um, you know, the current environment has really thrown a wrench in that I, you know, I mentioned my own experience of being, I mean, I had, I had worked for years to be in a position where I felt like my work was aligned very closely with what I find to be meaningful, how to, how to improve the quality of services that people were receiving in the public sector. And, um, you know, meaningful work is closely tied to people's sense of identity. And so that's another feature that I think, um, you know, when folks are looking to hire, to be mindful that uh, many of the folks that they're uh, recruiting may have had a, a real wrench thrown in their experience of Uh, you know, doing meaningful work.
0: Now, we've addressed the conditions that are present right now. We've addressed the impact psychologically that it has on people. Let's look at some strategies. Let's look at some things uh, that people can do um, to really help providers cope with the stress of this new normal. Kathy, let's start with you. Uh, What are some thoughts that you might have, some solutions, some strategies for people?
2: Yeah, again, and the work I do, a big part of when we talk about even heavy workload time, but certainly during times of crisis, being resilient uh, is so very important. And that word, you know, sounds like it could involve a lot of things, but at the very simplest level, it's things we all know, but very few of us take the time to Really? really practice. For one, uh, and I'll be vulnerable myself. Um, there was a very low point in my life when I lost my adult son. Um, oh, sorry. Died very unexpectedly. And so I was seeing a therapist and just trying to get through that. And she would ask me every time I would visit her, she goes, Kathy, are you exercising? Uh- and I'd say, no, I just can't. I just don't feel like it. And I'll never forget what she told me. She said, when you feel like it, the least is when you need it the most. And those words have stuck with me um, over these past five years. And she is so right. So that's something, you know, a very practical solution partial solution is to be sure to take care of oneself exercise even just getting out in the sunshine for 10 minutes a day taking a short walk um taking breaks and i understand those on the front line it's not so easy to just take a break because you have to disrobe and change completely but you know for the, for most of us if whatever that means to take short frequent breaks To the extent possible, just to get away from some of the very intense stress. Also, just uh, I think another practical tip is to avoid overload on the news. I mean, we can get addicted to following and listening to all the horrible things, and every time you look at the TV screen, the numbers and just the and it's real, all of that is real, but to try to maintain some kind of balance. And even though we're all cooped up at home, do something every day that has a little bit of fun in your life. And for me, I I mean, I do a lot of things outside with my pups and my cat, Mm -hmm. but, and the last thing I would say, um, talk to others, having that social support network. And I mean, most of us, I think Tony said this in the beginning, have become masters of technology. So if that's connecting with friends and family via Zoom or whatever, but don't let go of that need for social support.
0: Okay. Well, Kathy, I'm so sorry for your loss. And, and I yeah. thank you for sharing that story with us and those other insights. Um, Russ, uh, I want to turn to you. What, what strategies uh, would you like to add uh, for our sure. audience as well?
3: So I, I want to, Uh, I want to do a part A and a part B. So part A is what individuals can do to uh, stay well. And part B is what hiring entities can do in terms of structuring their programs in a way that supports the well-being of uh, workers. And actually, that's where I do uh, my consultative work in terms of helping um, uh, healthcare entities with... um, strategies for wellness for their staff and also mitigation of vicarious trauma so the first bit uh i'm basically dovetailing with what you were saying kathy so the the um the three legs of the stool uh where the stool is uh either physical well-being or emotional and mental well-being are uh sleep exercise and nutrition and uh you know while everybody's heard it uh, as many times as they've gone to their primary care doc. Uh, the, the thing is, uh, you know, how does one make that real? Uh, I will add to what you said, Kathy, about exercise, that the, um, the mental health benefits of exercise are greatly enhanced if one is in the aerobic range. So that's mm-hmm. aerobic range, 30 to 45 minutes, three to five times per week. Walking's great but it doesn't confer the same advantages in terms of mood and anxiety as getting into the aerobic range. Um, And then, you know, enough said about uh, sleep and nutrition. I'd also say uh, the evidence base is strong for the use of various kinds of meditation and yoga. And uh, we should uh, be quite public in my view as a way of um, contributing to reduction of stigma uh, to say when all of those strategies fail and people are not functioning well, they should be very willing to seek uh, counseling. And if the counseling is optimally provided and is not adequately addressing functional impairment, that, that folks should be willing to seek psychopharmacologic uh, and naturopathic evidence-based naturopathic remedies uh, to uh, deal with their troubles. Now on to part B of uh, the sort of systems of care and the way they can support this kind of well-being. And quite frankly, I think this makes them more attractive in terms of candidates. Um, are uh, I think you want to look like a program that is interested in supporting the well-being of your staff, and so. Um, in, uh, work settings that have a plan embedded for supporting personal wellness plans of their staff uh, are a good strategy. And again, uh, you know, there's specific uh, consultation that I and I believe Kathy and others can provide regarding how to set that kind of thing up. Um, and the second element is a plan for mitigation of vicarious trauma. And there are a number of debriefing tools uh, and strategies that one can put in place. And it's important to be careful about that because the evidence base about the benefit of debriefing is mixed. And there are some kinds of debriefing strategies that traditionally have used that turn out to be either not useful or actually potentially exacerbate. So that has to be delivered quite specifically. Um, And then, uh, You know, if if the folks that you're recruiting can answer the question if I work in this place How will I? Develop a sense of meaning. I mean look helping professionals get here because we're highly reinforced by being helpful Mm -hmm. And so if folks can look at a work environment and say ah that is really going to sustain my sense of identity and my sense of meaningful work and being helpful—that's a huge benefit. Uh, and lastly, I would say, in the current uh, COVID environment, uh, the more folks can uh, can support their uh, staff uh, working remotely for the long, you know, for the longer they can, the better. Uh, because although there's degrees of safety, I think a, a, a conservative read. Uh, from uh, the epidemiologists is, you know, absolute safety or restoring safety comes with the advent of a vaccine, and we're some time away from that. And so I would say programs that can flex to telemedicine uh, have an advantage in, in terms of recruiting.
0: Okay, thank you for those powerful statements and some great strategies and solutions as well. Um, This has been a great discussion and I want to give each of you a chance to provide some final thoughts on what you'd like to share with our listeners as they address recruitment, retention, their own psyche, uh, the psychological impact of COVID-19. Tony, I'd like to start with you. Give us uh, some of your final thoughts here.
1: Sure. Um, You know, at, at the end of the day, we're in an unprecedented time as it pertains to my industry, physician recruitment. Um, It's such a um, unnerving in a way and unpredictable situation. But I think what we need to do is stay steadfast knowing that this will pass. Our hopes are that it's going to pass sooner than later, but it will pass, and the needs that we have are still going to be out there. We are still currently and always will be in a situation where we have a shortage of physicians. So we've got to be able, as clientele, to be able to put ourselves in a position where we can see past what we are today and think about the future. We've got to be positive about the future, or we might as well just give up so we need to stay steadfast with that i think what we are going to see is you know probably the last 10 years what we saw in 2008 was was a big change when we went from a lot of independent contractors as as physicians to where people wanted to be employed they felt that safety and employment and they went to a place of safety you know, back then we saw people leaving New York City because that was the epicenter of what the problem was and people leaving their jobs, changing careers as Kathy and Russ both said, you know, their, their mentality was, where do I go and feel um am protected and needed and, and feel a sense of purpose. This is different than any of that. I mean, now it doesn't matter where you are. It's going to be this homing thing to say, maybe I need to get closer to home, or maybe I need to have that purpose fulfilled in a different way. But whatever it is, we need to grasp onto it. And I think the last thing that we're going to see is I think those numbers of employed physicians, even though it's skyrocketed in the last 10 years, I think when you're starting to see now physicians that are being furloughed, I would have never anticipated you would have ever seen something like this happen, would have never seen it. So I think a physician being in a position of safety and feeling they need that safety net of being employed i, I mean you're going to be approaching 100 percent in my estimation of employed physicians except those who are just going to hold on to it and, and they can hold on to that that uh, independent status longer but i feel really good about the future i'm an optimist at heart uh the glass is three quarters away full we're gonna get through this uh, we all just got to hang together and, and um and just know that we we need to plan for a strong future and what it's gonna to take to get there and just take care of ourselves. We can't take care of others if we don't take care of ourselves.
0: There you go. Yeah, thank you for that, Tony. Kathy, what final thoughts do you have for us?
2: Yeah, mine's real short and sweet. And <laughs> it applies to all leaders who might be listening to this. And that is two, three, five years from now, people are going to remember how you led, and a quote I heard one time is stuck with me. And I'm sorry I can't know uh, tell you who said this, is that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Oh. So anybody in leadership, just ask yourself, what am I doing daily with the folks in my organization to demonstrate that I truly care for their well-being? Thank you so much,
0: Daniel. Uh, Thank you. That was beautiful. Uh, Ross, we're going to let you send this off. What final thoughts do you have?
3: Sure. That was inspiring, Kathy. I'm going to borrow those concepts. That was really helpful. Um, So uh, one didactic piece, uh, which is um, for those who are interested in this idea of how you render your programming in a way that is compelling for people to uh, accept employment, um, the, uh, there's an article that touches on a number of the things I briefly uh, mentioned, and I'll give you the name of it. It's called "Managing Mental Health Challenges Faced by Healthcare Workers during COVID-19 pandemic." And that was in the BMj, that's the British medical journal march 26 2020. and essentially they have specific recommendations for putting processes in place to protect the mental health of healthcare workers. Um, and there's there's a lot of great detail in that, and I'd be happy to speak with folks further about uh, the details and how to set up uh, such a program. Um, the, the other uh, bit that I wanna touch on is um, really for everybody, uh, healthcare workers, programs, chest humans. Um, you know, when my now 14-year-old son was, f- let's say, five, and I was thinking about how to um, join with him about learning how to regulate his state, um, I took stock of, uh, first of all, the concept that, um, you know, when people are distressed, their frontal lobes are not working so well. So, you can get back to sort of calm by having a slogan or a ritualized way of doing it that doesn't require a lot of abstract thought. So um, I've been inviting this piece of language with him, you know, for nine years now and uh, to, to benefit. And it's this, when you're calm, everything that comes out of you is beautiful. That's it. He can say it. I all. All I have to say now is, when you're calm, because I know, Dad, everything that comes out of me is beautiful. He doesn't actually roll his eyes
2: <laughs> when I say this.
3: And look, the um, the cognitive behavioral therapists will tell us that we can regulate our emotional state. So if we're inefficient cognitively, if we're, you know, if our capacity for problem solving is in some way impinged upon the first step is to regulate our emotional state. And so, you know, different toolkits for different people, but when you're calm, everything that comes out of you is beautiful. And that's what I would remind people with, uh, of and leave you
0: all with. That's a great story. Uh, Tony, Kathy, Russ, uh, this has been a great discussion. Uh, really plumbed the depths of uh, what's going on right now and offered some great solutions. Uh, so thanks so much for joining us today and sharing these thoughts.
2: Thanks
3: for the opportunity. It was terrific.
2: Thank you.
0: Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to Scrub-In Uniforms for sponsoring this week's show. To streamline your uniform program and experience the ScrubIn difference, visit mgma.scrubin.com. Also, don't forget to register for MGMA's exclusive online event, Answering HR Questions in a COVID-19 Environment. To sign up for this June 24th seminar, visit mgma.com slash events. Thanks as well to our guests today, Tony Stadahar, Kathy Cooperman, and Dr. Russ Livingston. Don't miss the chance to hear more from all three on June 11th when they'll present an MGMA seminar titled, Hiring Physicians in the New Normal by Addressing the Psychological Dimension of COVID-19. For more info or to register, visit bit.ly slash hiringphysiciansseminar. To keep up with the latest regarding the pandemic, be sure to visit mgma.com slash COVID. You can also connect with fellow members and healthcare peers at community.mgma.com. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe and thanks for listening.
3: Hi, this
1: is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at MGMA.com slash membership.
0: Thanks.